Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. In 1995, theorizing that one could time travel within their own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. After years of attempting to bring him home, the project was abandoned until now. Dr. Ben Song risked everything when he used the Quantum Leap Accelerator to travel back in time. Now our team's working to find out why. As he leaps between bodies with no memory of who he is, he still has one hope, that his next leap takes him back to the place and people he calls home. Hey, hey, you have to tell him it wasn't my fault. I was only naked because my girlfriend locked me out of the house. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 133, Ben Song for the Defense. I'm a lawyer. Okay, uh, you are Aleda Ramirez. You are a public defender in Queens, New York, 1985. Uh, ben, mm-hmm. uh, you need to get to holding right now. You have a client on trial for murder, and it starts in 20 minutes. And Ziggy says that's why you're here. You got them down from 30 to 10, like you said you would, so I should take this deal, right? Okay, his name is Camilo Diaz. He's 18 years old and in charge with the murder of Nathan Herrera. Aleda got the charges knocked down from murder two to manslaughter, but Ziggy says you're here to prove his innocence. You know, 10's way better than 30, that's for sure. But 10's still a long time. I need to be there for Leo. Uh, his little brother. Camillo is the sole caretaker of him and their 65-year-old grandmother. In the original timeline, Camillo took the deal, went to jail, and his brother still joined the gang. He was shot dead before he got out. You shouldn't have to spend one more day in prison for something you didn't do. You deserve your day in court. So I say, we fight, we go to trial. I just got off the phone with the DA from Queens. He's gonna dig up Camilo Diaz's case file for us. Great, but I was thinking of another way to help Ben. Okay, so the last leap was so easy for me to navigate because of my military experience. But, I mean, the legal system, not so much. However, we do have someone here who knows their way around it quite well. You want me to go in the chamber? Ben needs you. Yeah, that's not my job description. Jen, you are the only person here that has experience in a courtroom. When I was on trial, not as a lawyer. But you do have a law degree. I can't do this. Well, I guess we're lucky this is a military operation and I the orders. Okay, we have five minutes before you're due in court. Now, the judge is going to ask for your client's decision on the deal. That's when you'll say his plea remains not guilty. Trial begins at two o'clock. You really want to waste my time with this? Fine. I'm going to put your client away for life. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we are discussing season one, episode 15, Ben Song for the defense. 15. 15. Can you believe it? We're almost. How did we get here already? Almost at the end. Yeah, it's crazy. And not only are we discussing episode 15, but we are doing so with a very special guest host, Ms. Jan Fennick. Jan, welcome to the Quantum Leap podcast. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Matt. So, I mean, I know that you and Matt have uh, a long relationship in fandom, and uh, I just wanted to, you know, <laughs> tell us tell us how you know each other and, like, how, how you came to know Matt and, like, your Quantum Leap fandom. What brings you to the mic with us? We want to know all about you, Jan. 
Oh boy. Uh, do we have about five hours? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually met, uh, I met Matt through a mutual friend, my, my late best friend, Jennifer Adams Kelly, who's also the person who got me into Quantum Leap fandom back in 1989. I'm going to say it was Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we were in Indiana at a friend's wedding. I hadn't seen Jen in a while. I'm in New York. She was in Chicago. Uh, we were best friends from age of 12 onward. We met as pen pals, et cetera. And we were always influencing each other other's tastes and stuff when especially when it came to tv and she started telling me about quantum leap that weekend because we were together in a hotel and by the time the weekend was over i went home and i don't remember exactly which episode it was but it was the beginning of or sort of the middle of season one i think um and i just fell in love with the show and immediately became a fan and um fandom wise she and i actually we did two very stupid fanzines they're out there somewhere <laughs> we're on fandom lore um they're called i've i've leaped and i can't get up and um basically there's two humor zines and the point was while everybody else was doing these very serious angsty uh fanzines a lot of slashes whatever we decided we were going to do sam's stupidest leaps ever um and I, i'm trying to actually dig them up because i wanted to share stuff with matt just for a laugh um i know in the two issues that we wrote uh she and i co-wrote a story first where uh sam leaped into Marsha brady in the brady bunch episode where she's got to get davy jones to take her to the prom um <laughs> because jen was also a big monkeys fan and it was like one of those like we have to make all this work and then the other one was uh bizarre story based on us back when we were at Northwestern uh, as undergraduates and Sam was a friend of ours and, and this, this basically was a total self-indulgent let's like make fun of ourselves and our friends and situations we knew about and it's been years since I've read these so I don't remember how bad they are but they're probably pretty bad uh, I know there's also some filks in there that I wrote because I remember in the first one I did something set to Buddy Holly's Oh Boy of course and the second mm. one was uh, Let's Twist Again so it was Let's Leap Again um, mm. and that I want to say that was probably about 1990, 1991. Um, there are pictures of us that again, I wanted to dig those up for Matt just for a laugh. Um, cause we had a launch party at Media West Con, which used to be the big like fanzine convention held in Michigan every year. So, um, I became the Quantum Leap fan through Jen and then just kind of stuck it out through the last, you know, however many decades. And I know Jennifer introduced me to Matt online at some point. Although I knew his name kind of through Doctor Who circles in general. And we've sort of been corresponding and talking for a while now. I want to say like two, three years at least online, probably. It may even be longer because, you know, yeah. at this point, you know, time blurs. <laughs> no idea. It's been a few years and... um Jan and I are, are both, I think, the kind of people. So Jan and I also both attend uh, the annual Doctor Who convention in Los Angeles, and uh, we're we're both the kind of people who see other people on the other side of a room and think, "Oh, they look busy. I won't go and interrupt them." So the last few years, we've been swapping messages with each other, both promising that this year will be the year that we actually talk in Los Angeles. And um, this year we finally did. I think it was the first time we've actually heard each other's voices uh, was last month. Well, actually, at least in a, a prolonged period, because Matt has brought me a couple of things. You know, he's brought me sweets and mm. stuff. And I think, I want to say it was either last year or it was uh, before pandemic, so that would have been uh, 2020, where he basically had a bag of, like, uh, Cadbury and, and uh, Chalkies and stuff and just kind of like threw them back. Here, here you are, and then ran off before I could say more. So I think we exchanged yes. brief <laughs> words before that, but... But yeah, yeah, this was the first year we actually sat down <laughs> yeah. and had conversations, which was great because, 
you know, like I said, I've known Matt online and it's one of those things where you talk to people for years online and then actually don't get to sit down and talk to them until, you know, years later. So that's how I know Matt. So there we go. And he was kind enough to invite me along. So, Well, that's great. We're happy to have you. And speaking of Doctor Who, there's a Long Island Doctor Who convention. And Jen and I were discussing that uh, before we got on mic. And we have actually met, of which I have no memory. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I know we've we've like interacted briefly. I, I actually am on staff for Li Who and have been since the beginning. I run a lot of the cosplay tracks, and I'm also usually on like 20 different panels, depending on what our programming director needs me to like fill in on. So I I know I've talked to people like lots of people and lots of faces. You know, if if and when we get you know we actually can like see each other in real space, you'll be like, oh her. <laughs> and you'll never want to know your podcast again. But uh, yeah, so like I said, I, I know your name and I, I, I may have even seen your panels there um, because, you know, like I said, I, I'm always running and, and running stuff there. So it's really hard for me to be like very social unless people know me, like my roommate who also tends to be on all my panels. But well, it, it's a pleasure to touch base again, to meet up again. Um, and um, I'm happy to have you on the podcast. I mean, wow, way back in 89, I think you were a fan before either of us. So yes, yeah, your sure. fandom goes right back to the beginning. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I said, you know, I think Jen was watching from the beginning and I, I think I'd heard of it, was kind of interested in it, but hadn't gotten to it. And then just because the two of us, when we were together, we kind of like had this little bubble of, you know, just being able to share everything with each other you know, genre-wise, that she sucked me in, like, very, very quickly, and that was it. <laughs> wow. Okay, so, I mean, I have a couple of questions. I know that um, it's it's a little bit off off topic for this specific episode, but before I go any further down that rabbit hole, I just want to say that um, for everybody listening out there, we will also be bringing you another uh, great interview. This episode, we have spoken with Deandra Lyle, who plays ADA Vicky Chase in Ben Song for the Defense. This is Ben's love interest, I guess you'd call it, right? Yeah. Yeah, Deandra's uh, lovely. Uh, we got a really good interview out of her so really looking forward to sharing that later yeah so stay tuned for that after the break as usual but jen if 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 i can if we can maybe back up so you've been (laughs) like a huge fan of quantum leap obviously since the beginning so um maybe just briefly in a nutshell can you tell us um how excited you were to hear about the revival series and what you've thought about it so far I was actually excited, um, obviously because I'm an old school fan, mildly disappointed that we didn't get anything prior to this and that at least for the moment Scott has chosen not to, to join in the festivities. But, mm-hmm. um, I was actually, it was all Matt's fault really because I was following everything, all his, you know, digging and all his uh, detective work before anything really happened in terms of, uh, cast and writers and producers and all that. And the more he, found out about it the more i was intrigued and um i've really liked it since the beginning i've been watching it since the new series aired and um i've been really impressed i think it's a very different show and i've had like debates with people about it but i'm not one of those oh this is not quantum leap because i mean i my first fandom ever was star trek that's how jen and i actually had met and i was a teenage trekkie and all that so you know the fact that we have like new iterations of a show is okay by me, as, you know, as long as it still has the same heart and the same vibe overall. And I think the new show does um, mm. a lot. And I, I'm enjoying it. The only thing for me, and it's not a 
a criticism per se, but I think the new series is more serious. We don't quite have the same kind of feeling of whimsy that I think the old series did, you know, or, or to the level of, I think, camp at some points in the old series. But I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm really liking the characters. I think as the show has gone on, and again, it's just the first season, so everything always gets tweaked and changed and, you know, directions change as you go along. Um, I like the mysteries. I like the characters. Um, you know, we'll talk about it more later, but one of the things I liked about this episode is that I really felt like I got to know Jen for the first time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the fact that she got sort of a spotlight really meant a lot to me because it's like, okay, now I know who she is. Now I can kind of connect with her too. And I was at New York Comic Con last October, uh, actually promoting a Doctor Who book that I'm in. And Mason Alexander Park was there and they were there along with Tom Sturridge because they were promoting uh, The Sandman. And I had my photograph taken with the both of them. And I have to tell you that I already was impressed by Mason from Sandman and their work on Quantum Leap so far. But they are just like, I can't even describe the level of their charisma, their just general personality. They were lighting up the room and bouncing off walls, and it was great. So if I hadn't been a fan of the show already, Mason definitely pulled me in even more and the only thing that i'm really bummed out about is that the panel that i was on for our book was on exactly against uh their musical panel because it was like friday at 7 30 or 8 o'clock at night and so i did not get to hear them singing um and i've seen video and i'm just like crazy and someday i will see them live i'm hoping you know at some point they'll you know during gallifrey which is in los angeles you know mason and mike garson will have another one of their bowie shows and that will be mm. like perfect Mason hangs around uh, New York quite a bit. You're a fellow New Yorker um, like me, so I'm sure we'll be able to see them at some point during the hiatus because they don't seem to sit still and they seem to <laughs> love to perform. Uh, I, I, I think give Mason an excuse to sing into a microphone and they'll take it every time. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, and you know, like I said, I'm, I'm also a huge Sandman fan, so the fact that they were on Sandman already and like just an amazing, amazing desire, like that was already like a huge, huge like draw for quantum leap also um and also for me i mean i'm just very big on diversity in shows and i love the fact that the new show is far more you know diverse we've got you know an asian lead we've got more women involved um you know more people of color uh magic is back and that that again like i I, as much as i love the old show it's still a product of you know the late late 80s early 90s um so it's you know white men everywhere which is fine for the time, but I'm really happy about more representation and especially the queer representation that's been coming out, including on this week's episode. Heck yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's a perfect segue because uh, usually this is the part of the show, Jam, where we do some first impressions, and I'd like you to give your first impressions of Ben Song for the defense. I really like this episode. I think that the fact that Jen got to be in Ben's bubble and directing things and Edison actually took a back seat for a change. Um, no complaints because I think Edison's great, but it was really nice to just see sort of a, a shifting of things and, and kind of a different scenario. I like the fact that Ben got to be a woman and, and again, as much as I love the old series, we didn't have any jokes here about ripped nylons or tripping over high heels <laughs> or, you know, somebody from the team suddenly being, oh my God, I can't control myself because you're such a hot woman. I mean, I love Al, <laughs> but that... Drives me nuts. Um, so I, I, I really like that part of it. Um, I like the fact that there was queer representation there and it wasn't like, okay, let's stop and, you know, give you a message. It's just, 
oh, this is Vicky, and oh, we're together. Okay. Ben kind of like, all right. And we just move on from there, which is the best kind of representation where it's not later. Now we have to stop everything and give you an entire, you know, ABC after school special to explain why <laughs> this is so good that we're doing this. You know, it just is, which, you know, especially yeah. as New Yorkers and New Yorkers from the eighties, you know, it's like, it was always there. So just move on. And I think it was smart. I think it was relatively fun. Um, and, you know, because again, we're, we're getting to the end of the season, but on, uh, also we've, we've, the wheels have been turning and things have been happening. And I think everything is really starting to click in terms of the team, the writing, the setting, et cetera. So the show is really starting to gel for me. Cool. Cool. How about you, Matt? What'd you think of this one? Yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, they've, they've had a really good run, uh, the last few weeks of, of strong episodes. What surprised me about this one? And in retrospect, it shouldn't have done. Ray has been showing off his comic chops here and there throughout the show. Nanrissa has been doing the same. We knew that Nanrissa was, or we knew that Jen was going to be the hologram for a point in this episode. And it, it didn't strike me just how funny it would be to have the two of them on screen together bouncing off each other. So I did not expect the comedy amongst all the drama. And uh, th- this was a fun episode, as well as being a high tension, high stakes one. And a lovely personal story. Again, it, it had that feeling of family style and let them play. And some some of the really good ones they've had recently that haven't been world-changing events. This is proper original Quantum Leap where this, he, he made some major differences in an individual person's life that no one outside that life would really be impacted by. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's um, there's definitely some things to get into in terms of how much they packed in and how they went about it. But overall, surprisingly good episode. Yeah, I when, when I was watching it for the first time, I was just so surprised at how much was going on. And um, it reminded me quite a bit of Paging Dr. Song in the fact that we had multiple storylines bouncing off of mm. one another. Uh, but this one had a m- much more central through line and it had the added benefit of once again having the uh, project and Leap Synergy pretty much on point like it was yes. last week. I have, I have more to say about that. But uh, yeah, for an episode that could have flown apart um, in so many different areas, um, they managed to keep a rein on it. It was tight. It was funny. I think I agree with both of you that um, that Raymond really gets to show off his comic chops in this one and a little bit in the last one as well. And uh, the addition of Jen as a hologram, you know that we are hashtag more Jen around here. So <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was really nice to see uh, Nanrissa get a little bit of a spotlight and to change things up, which also opens up a whole nother can of worms about how this project works and lore and all all that stuff. So a lot to dig into here. But on the whole, I think a really solid episode in many of the grand traditions of classic Quantum Leap. So right off the bat, we're talking about social justice. Quantum Leap is, if not anything, it's a vehicle for social justice. And we had it right here with this wrongly accused boy who Mm. was going to go away for murder. And uh, that to me was classic series all the way down. So what do you guys think about that storyline? I liked it a lot. I, I think, you know, as you said, it, it wasn't world changing. It wasn't like last week, let's say, you know, where, oh my God, you know, the, the world is going to, literally the world is going to end if we don't fix things. But it felt very personal in terms of the fact that Ben was going out of his way to really make sure that Camillo got his due justice and that the family was going to be okay. And by the time we got to the end of it, I mean, when Addison finally said, you know, they're saying, they're sort of doing the wrap up what happened. And- Alita and Vicky joined the Innocence Project. 
helping those who are wrongly accused find freedom. I got weepy. I mean, it was like it was yeah. silly, but it just I felt it was really moving. And that's one of the things I really liked about it is that it was light. It wasn't heavy handed. You know, we didn't have huge monologues in there about social justice. And that, But it just it was and it worked. And there were a lot of like little touches. Like I said, the relationship between Alita and Vicky, the fact that Stuart the biker was going to be doing this AIDS run on the bike, although well, we'll talk about it later. But that was something that actually stuck out to me historically that kind of irked me in a very small way, not huge, but there were you know, other little touches. I mean, the fact that the kids were Latino and the grandmother didn't necessarily speak English that well, but it wasn't made the crux of the episode, but it was there. So you kind of got all these like little elements and felt it. And it was really well put together without again, like stopping and then having to go through all this sort of like heavy duty, you know, soapboxing, et cetera. It just, it worked the way the old series worked when the old series worked well, which was great because that's what I love about the show. And that point you made at the end um, of uh, the the Innocence Project uh, that that touched me as well. I I was certainly crying at the end. Um, the the one thing I'd say about the, the way this touches the social justice system is it it managed to address my concern about this episode, which is that going into it, which was that okay, Quantum Leap has done courtroom drama before. Uh, it did it thirty years ago, and it did it so well. How can we not compare this unfavorably to Raped? That, that was basically how I went into this thing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how this is not going to be held up against it unfairly. And it managed to tackle the same sort of themes about the justice system being sometimes broken, but did it in, in the opposite way. You know, here, then we were talking about a guilty party going free because things just get rushed through the court and people don't get trusted. And here we were talking about an innocent person going to jail for the exact same reason. So I like the fact that it, it managed to do it, but it did it in such a different way. I didn't feel like I was comparing it. I know I'm comparing it now, but while I was watching it, I didn't feel that, that comparison. So it's, um, it managed to have tread the same ground, but in such a different way. That was impressive. We had, you know, the evil DA, who of <laughs> course had to be the cishead white guy, but... I, it didn't feel like he was like scenery chewing. He wasn't twirling mustaches. We knew he was kind of a creep, but it wasn't over the top. And I like that. You know, it just, it, everything worked right without being cartoonish or being, you know, just like ridiculous. So I, and I appreciate that when we can get a good story, you know, a meaty story without, you know, unless it's supposed to be, you know, specifically a comedy, um, where this had light touches, but it also had pathos. It also had courtroom drama. And then we had like a really lovely ending at the end. So it worked on all points for me. What I really liked about it was the frenetic pacing and um, yeah. just showing you, not telling you that Ben is busy, but showing you the sort of life that a public defender would have to lead mm. with, uh, you know, Definitely. dozens and dozens of open cases and no time to talk to anybody yet trying to make a difference, trying to care. It would have been, I think, a little bit one note if it was all about, say, like in um, Last Dance before an execution, where it was just all about trying to prove Sam's innocence. Surprise, surprise, he wasn't innocent at the end. But, uh, you know, that one was so one note that they had to bring Alan to go fishing for evidence. This one, we saw some of that on the project side, but we also had these little asides with the biker, can you get my bike? And they used that to good effect to find the evidence at the end. And with the comedy relief, I mean, when he leaps in, <laughs> the guy's talking about how he was locked out naked and he was just sleeping in the car because they had no place else to go and interacting with them as the show went on. I mean, they found little ways to 
put in these scenes that gave it much more texture and uh, make it a much more rounded viewing experience aside from just courtroom drama. So I really liked that part about it. And all of those things also spoke to sort of the social justice and what many people face. And sometimes it's their own fault as with the couple looking for the bail money. He's just like, here's my tip. Show up to court. That's all you have to do. <laughs> yes. Your money right. just comes to court, you know. <laughs> and Stuart, the biker, which you know, obviously he's got something going on, but it's he's not just a one-note thug or something like that. Usually, biker is shorthand for sleazeball right. on mm. uh, network TV yeah. shows. Yeah. But no, he's you know he's a decent stand-up guy. Maybe he's in a little bit of legal trouble, but you know he's really dedicated to doing this 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 AIDS ride for the memory of his uncle. So. Um, just another neat little wrinkle on what I think on many network shows would have been a throwaway character or like a one-note comedic relief. And uh, they didn't do that. They actually used the character to good effect. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed those aspects of it. The other thing I liked is the fact that we kept weaving back. We met all these different cases and, you know, usually on another show, it would just be, yeah, that would be a one note. You wouldn't see them again. Even the fact that, you know, the other couple comes in and the whole thing about the bail money. But we also got, you know, a Back to the Future joke in there, which was, I thought was yep. really clever. Um, you know, and, and the fact that Ben is like, yeah, it's, you know, we're not the smartest, you know, the best thing to do in terms of time travel, but it wasn't going to hurt anybody. And that's how they got their money. And then that kind of brought them in too. So yeah, I think the weaving of the different characters without dwelling on one or, you know, like, you know, why are we wasting time with this person? It all worked together within the story. And I thought that was really great. I just, the writing on this was really, really good. One thing I just wanted to note, since you mentioned Stuart, um, the, Edward Galehouse, the, the guy who played him, his Instagram profile is nice guy who plays bad guys. <laughs> so I, I get the impression he's typecast for his looks. And this was maybe a nice, a nice point for him to actually be the real him. A nice guy. <laughs> um, I, I also just wanted to talk a bit about the, the, as much as I love this episode, and that frenetic pace was absolutely appropriate and so well done, the only part where that fell down a bit for me was that occasionally some things needed explaining. And we had, uh, what, Sal Becker, beardy exposition lawyer occasionally walking through the scene just to drop some information that obviously needed squeezing in somewhere and yeah yeah that 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 was the only thing that and the actor did a really good job with oh, some he was great fa fairly clunky lines but he, he just basically seemed to be there to say look we've got 42 minutes to squeeze 90 minutes worth of stuff in there's no other way of saying this here's the information bye i'm running off Right. His Basil Exposition. And the only thing that I would have liked, maybe it was there and they cut it out, I would have liked to know what he was to Alita. Like, it was, you know, was he a mentor? Was he a colleague? I mean, obviously he was a colleague, but... He said, I've seen you around. Right. I mean, that, that was it. He just said, I've seen you around. That's... <laughs> I'm just going to tell you stuff now. Yeah, I kept waiting to find out there was a twist, like, you know, he was going to be Martinez or, you know, some other Exactly. Leaper. It just was weird. I was thinking he he was GTFW or Martinez or someone. Like yeah, he could have been GTFW. I mean, he was he was the realist, but he wasn't a cynic, which I think showed, you know, that you could still, I guess, forge a career in this. But he's telling her, get out, get out. I always tell people who say they want to go into journalism, don't do it. Don't do it. Get out. It sucks. It's the worst. But, you know, people have a passion to do it and they want to do it and they'll do it and I think that he recognizes that in Alita but I thought of him as sort of um, avuncular exposition which was nice it was comforting it was like you know okay. here comes exposition in a cozy sweater and you know giving you a little <laughs> bit of a 
<laughs> yes. of, of a broader overview of the of the world that Ben is in now. So it didn't grate against me because I just enjoyed the character and I enjoyed uh, Dean Cameron's performance. And it's Saul Becker. Did you said Saul? Saul is that is that the British pronunciation of Saul? <laughs> It uh, probably, <laughs> you know, I've been I've been watching Better Call that character name uh, for years, and I, I I think that's what I've been calling that show for years as well. Better Call Soul, uh, Soul, Soul, Soul. It's, it's, I can't say Soul. It just doesn't. You just need you need the New York accent. Soul, especially in this case, he was a Soul Becker. Just just say it. Soul Soul Becker. There's New York. It's New York and New York Jewy, and yeah, I'm a New York Jew, so I can say that. Um, <laughs> that's how it is. It's Soul Becker. <laughs> It's all good, man. Yeah. You know me as a New Yorker when things come and they're set in, say, like Queens, and nobody sounds like they're from Queens at all. And uh, (laughs) I expected Saul at least to have a little bit of an accent. So, Jan, you feel me on that one, right? Oh, totally. Great. All right. We got our New York out of our our system here. (laughs) Thank you, Saul. Jen is a hologram. Yeah, Jen, the hologram. Jen, the hologram. Okay. Jen and the holograms since 1985. Hell yeah. So I'm surprised that they didn't make a Jen and the Holograms joke on the show because uh, very self-referential with that kind of stuff, with pop culture snork. Mm. And uh, it was just like low-hanging fruit that they did not grab. Right. Especially since it was 1985 and that was basically the height of Jen and the Holograms as both dolls and on TV. Uh, just an aside. One of my other hats is dolls and pop culture, doll collecting, etc. So that was kind of one of my forays. So yeah, I had to make the joke and I was really surprised they didn't. <laughs> Work it in, especially because it was 1985. But the fact that Jen can go into the imaging chamber, and I guess we got sort of a taste of that when uh, Ian went into the chamber to watch the game in Let Them Play. This is a completely different build. This is a completely different quantum leap, completely different parameters for both leaping and, I guess, for contacting Ben in the past. Because Jen shows up, she doesn't even have the hand link. And she can see and hear and and do everything. And we kind of got a taste of that because Ian wasn't even touching Addison and they could still see everything going on throughout the hologram through the game. So I'm trying to retcon this in my head, but the simplest thing I can think of is – it's 30 years. Technology has advanced. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we need yeah. to question it. What, what technology do you have now that is exactly the same as it was 30 years ago besides radio? Honestly. And maybe, yeah. I guess, print. You know, that's been the same for the last couple of centuries, I guess. But uh, yeah, but even with print, you've got you've got to change from, you know, ye old, you know, old fashioned typesetting to now, you know, anybody can do it on their computer and et cetera. So yep. even though yeah, when no, it's there, true. it's still been enhanced and, and made easier. So I have no problem with that. What I do take some issue with, and it's, an, it's one of these corners they've painted themselves into and they kind of... They acknowledged it in this episode, at least. In Magic's words... He's been in that imaging chamber 24-7 for weeks. Why? Why? If it was that easy to swap her out, put them on rotation. I know for the drama, it's the Addison-Ben show, and that's fine. But there's still never been a satisfactory explanation as to why Addison is the only one that's allowed in there until we need someone that's got a law degree. And then suddenly it's okay to swap them out. The reality of it is... They should have five or six of them swapping around. But I know that um, maybe would detract from the ongoing relationship. But equally, it was such a nice change just to have somebody different in. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing having a different hologram each week. I really like the fact that Jen did take the wheel and Jen was kind of running things this week. Um, So I would love that too. I, I think that, you know, 
we should see more of this in future, especially if, the way that they did it here where, okay, Jen knows more about law. Jen, you know, knows about trials. Let's put her in there, you know, so whoever they need to be, who's the expert for the week and give everybody kind of a little bit of a break. Yeah. So I, it worked really well for me, but I, I wasn't even thinking about the tech until you just mentioned it now. And I'm suddenly realizing, yeah, at some point, like Addison actually had to hand Jen the, the hand leg and be like, oh no, here, you need this. And it's like, so obviously we don't need it to be a hologram now, which is odd. So <laughs> No, anyone can walk in there, yeah. which like I say, it's, it's fine. It's been 30 years. So, you know, whatever. But it just, it, opens up that whole kind of worms of why has it taken this long now matt i know that you're um crazy psycho about this kind of stuff so can you (laughs) tell us um in universe how long do you estimate ben has been leaping have you been keeping track of that and how does that gel with them going from 2022 to 2023 mid-season and back again um to to be fair there was there was one caption that came up saying 2023 and Ben also said, oh, you know, how would people think if they, they saw us, if they came back to 2023 and saw us? But since then, there's been a couple of references to 2022. So I, I think they've they've gone back on that a little bit. Um, to answer your question, though, as far as I'm concerned, this is almost definitely day 20. Um, every episode in the project, they're referring to events having just happened, mm. uh, with the exception of Family Style to SOS, where there could be a short gap but possibly not. But other than that, yeah, if, if that's the case, if every if every leap's happening near enough sequentially, with most of the leaps taking up one day, this is day 20. So when Magic says, oh yeah, she's been in there for weeks, just about, nearly nearly three weeks now. So so are we supposed to assume that Addison is not, like, eaten, you know, had anything to drink, <laughs> um, no sleep, no bathroom breaks, no, you know, whatever, no showers. She's just been in there 24-7 for three weeks. <laughs> I'm taking 24-7 with a slight pinch of salt because we know that she, she went and sat and had Chinese and watched uh, Real Housewives or Desperate Housewives, whichever it is. I can never remember the difference. Real Housewives. Um, so, something about Housewives, Real Housewives. Um, she sat and, and uh, ate Chinese and watched Real Housewives. So, there obviously are these gaps between leaps like there were in the original series um but in the original series on the rare occasions we got an explanation it was kind of five six days in this because things happen where they say oh yeah yesterday we were out there talking to janice or yesterday this they seem to be one day after the next so it seems to be more like she'll get a night off to go and sleep and then have to go back again straight away. Yeah, whereas I, I know in the old series, I mean, obviously we know that Al had a social life and all sorts of things going mm. on. So Al yeah. wandered off and did whatever he was doing and then came back again. As Whereas, yeah, Addison seems to be there constantly. Yeah, I, th- I think she's been there for in, in the imaging chamber on and off for 19 days now. And this this is her first day out. Well, I, I got to say that, uh, you know, I don't know that I see her as consecutively in the imaging chamber for 19 days or, you know, that this has been not having any time between leaps, like everything is just, you know, one after the other after the other. They alluded to the fact that, you know, this is nonstop because he said something to the effect of when is the last time I even slept? And she said, well, your hosts have slept. So from that, you can infer that Ben is, con- you know, he's, he's experiencing this with no break in the middle, as opposed to Sam, who um, sometimes would go into what we dubbed the leap void uh, from the novels. Yeah. Um, and it would be weeks sometimes before a new uh, host came into the waiting room. There's, there's definitely, don't, sorry, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's not some kind of leap void. What I'm saying is that 
like when Janice gave them the name Dottie, they didn't sit around for a week before going and tracking her down. And the, there's enough evidence, um, th- there's enough specifically where uh, like they're surveilling Beth's house and then the day after surveillance gets removed and that's in the next episode. So that there are several references to yesterday this happened. It can't be much more than 20 days. It's certainly not, um, what, are we on to episode 15? No, it, it's certainly not 15 weeks that this has been going on for. Uh, and if it has been, I want to know where Janice has been the last few weeks. But that's a different topic. <laughs> that's true. So you're thinking maybe back in project time, it's only been, say, maybe a day since they, they brought Janice in or two. You know, it could, or it could be, you know, but not weeks and weeks and weeks, which, yeah, I guess it's always going to be nebulous. And I think that's always going to be a danger of having uh, the project yeah. side as opposed to the leap side, because it's, you know, it's almost like time is an allegory. <laughs> it's just, yeah. yes. it, you can't really track it, it like linearly in real time because it just falls apart. I don't mind that. I will say this. I mean, this was another episode, the second in a row and probably the second in the series where the... Maybe you can say Leap Die Repeat as well, but where the project stuff directly correlated with everything that was going on with the Leap, and that's all we got. Uh, and yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that we have been calling for this since uh, episode one. How come it always seems like two separate shows? Um, because we have the mystery box, we have the chase, we have the Janice storyline going on, we have the Martinez storyline going on, we have Ben leaping for some unknown reason to save Addison in the future. All this is, you know, so front and center at the project, it always felt like we were sacrificing the leap story to get to the mystery box story. Now that we're on the second week, solid week, of the control room helping out directly with the leaps in such a straightforward way... I'm going to be a little sacrilege here and say, spice it up a little bit. If this is all we're going to get from the project side every week of them chasing down documents and stuff like that, I don't know that I want a mystery box, but I do want a little bit more of a project story. And this, yeah, it's like, it can't satisfy me. It's like, I wanted this (laughs) and now I'm getting it and I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of one note. It's going to get old a little bit quick. So- yeah, I, so where's the line here? What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I, I think that there's a balance to be struck. And um, yeah, I, I noticed that as well. That this episode is possibly an SOS as well, but that at least had a bit of Martinez. This episode probably most strongly demonstrates what we've been talking about all along. But yeah, I, I did miss just, just having... I just want a little bit peppered in. But for the most part, I think this got it a lot closer than any previous one has. Uh, I love that mystery box stuff. You know I'm all about Martinez and Janice. So I was disappointed. Not, not even disappointed. I, I missed the fact that neither of them were mentioned or, or neither of them were, were there at all. But I did like the fact that it was downplayed. I, I loved um, the relevance of the project. Um, I even noticed at the end... Um, so they, they did the whole future history thing of what what's what's the revised history which the original series did every week this series hardly ever does which is something just to jump in I, that's something i actually really miss i like to know what happens to the people you know and, and how things get affected even if it's a small thing like this week so it was really nice to see this week yeah it was it was really good to see it um there's two things that i noted about that one one i really liked this was in the original pilot script that got dropped is that they used um i think they used instagram at one point it looked like they had a grab from instagram up on the screen to help show what was going on with the future history and that was something that was in the original pilot which hasn't really been done since 
Yeah, they they definitely did because it was Leo's um it was Leo's Instagram with him and his and uh Camillo and the grandmother uh, in the future. So that was really clever. The other thing was though that um Addison said to Jen, "Oh, would you like to do the honors?" As if this is something they always do. And they don't always do it, or we've never seen them do it. But I guess, I guess they do sit around afterwards at the project and chat about the the changes that have been made. We've never actually seen that, but it was a bit of retconning. But I liked it because it it does pull the two together, even if it's a bit retroactively. I can now imagine that after the previous episodes, they have maybe have a, had a sit around and Addison's done a little presentation, a little little bit of PowerPoint to show uh, what happened next for the the Indian family two weeks ago, and so on. I think actually she may be getting that beforehand because she is conveying that information to Ben before he leaps most times the way we see it. So mm-hmm. you have to assume that they're talking about the changes in the in the control room. And in this case, it happened afterwards because this was such a unique leap out. Yeah. Um, tell me what TV show where you building up to a crescendo of not guilty <laughs> and then you have the main character walk through the door to that pivotal moment and just leaps. And that tells you he was successful. That tells you this is the end of the story. Yes. This kid gets right. out of jail and Ben is off to his next thing. He's not needed there anymore. And I thought that that was sort of an amazing little twist because you never would have seen that in the original. You would have gotten the not guilty and Al would have, you know, chomped on a cigar and punched the head like saying, yeah, Leo. And they, they open a restaurant and he gets out of Queens because Queens is so freaking awful. We all have to get out of Queens. <laughs> I mean, give me, give me a break with that. But it was just like, this is different. This is another way that they're doing it differently, and I thought that it was very effective. Yeah, I, I was just going to um, just to go back to the, the uh, Project Leap Synergy kind of thing. It was really funny because I think the way that this episode was kind of framed, etc., it worked for me okay. This week, I wouldn't want to see it every week where we don't get anything with mystery boxes. We don't get any follow-through or continuation on that. I mean, we did get a little bit about Martinez because we had that whole like running, you know, Leap Rex, okay, pay me a dollar thing. So at least it was mm. it, it was referenced, it was there, but we, we didn't go any further with it. And I was surprised. I thought we might get at least something or get a commentary about Janice. And again, maybe it was there and they cut the line because it didn't work or, you know, the, for time. But this week it was okay. But I, again, I, I would like them to get a better balance too if we're going to do this more too. Because I like seeing the project side. But if you're setting up all these mysteries, especially when we're, you know, in the home stretch in the first season and they're claiming we're going to get answers to a lot of the questions, I want answers or at least, you know, some leading up to those answers. Let's talk about that Leaper X thing just briefly, at least, um, because we, we have spoken on the podcast before about how sometimes the team seem really antagonistic towards each other. And it's not always nice seeing what's going on back at the project. That was so fun seeing the dollar bills being handed back and forth. It just made me happy. Yeah, I thought it was really cute. And I, li- I like, again, I like seeing the, the team kind of interacting and everybody being warm and fuzzy with each other. Cause, um, you know, sometimes I think at least initially for me, Jen seemed very standoffish and kind of like, you know, there was a wall between her and everybody else. And you know, she kind of let her hair down. She was laughing. She was hugging. It felt more like a real team and not just a bunch of people that work together might not necessarily like each other. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I have recently rewatched the pilot, and I know that we we kind of maligned the pilot a little bit when it first aired because we just thought that it was very rushed and um, tell don't show. But this is the first time the project 
team feels like they're back at the dynamic that we saw at the engagement party where they're all friends and they're all collegial and they all know each other and they're all sort of invested in each other. Yeah. Uh, I think it's because we've been busy with the plot stuff that the character stuff has been a little bit sporadic, a little bit haphazard. But as we've always said, um, Nanrissa seems to be the one on the show with uh, sort of the most thankless task because Jen's character has not been very well defined. And this uh, made great strides to rectifying that. I think that Jen really had a chance to shine in this episode. I think Nan Rissa did a great job, not with just the, the dramatic stuff, but with the vulnerability yeah. and yeah. the comedy. Really rounding out the character of Jen for the first time, I think, in the episode, aside from when they tried to do it with her dad and the elevator and and, and all that stuff when, the, when Janice had the project under lockdown, basically. Much more organic way in this this for the character to interact to be who she is and if we have to change like one of the key tenets of quantum leap say the leaper hologram dynamic which is sort of the, the central core of the show in service of giving us better character work for the ensemble cast i'm all for it i mean I wouldn't mind if we had different holograms during different leaps playing to different strengths and I know that that might be sacrilege to a lot of quantum leap fans but this is a new quantum leap. So why not? If the technology obviously exists for the hologram to be interchangeable, regardless of the hand link, what does that make the hand link these days? Is it just basically a, a, a data device? Like what, what is the, the purpose of the hand link if you don't need it specifically to be in the imaging chamber? Yeah. yeah. Curious about that. Although, yeah, I mean, it, it was fantastic to see uh, Nanrissa getting to show her acting skills and she, she got some wonderful material and she, she nailed it. Um, Again, going back to my point that it, this was a very fast-paced episode. Some things were glossed over. Their method of inserting her into the script in that way. Ah, oh, she got a law degree uh, while she was in, in prison uh, that we've never spoken about before. I mean, they did this every other week with Al saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I happened yeah, to exactly. run away with the circus. <laughs> but come on, that, that, was, that, that was 30 years ago. Um, TV's often a bit more subtle these days that was a little i i have to say though raising. you can't take it to task you can't take it to task uh, otherwise anything that al comes up with oh, is just I know. you know is off the table and i and you know this is in perfect keeping with quantum leap look, in my opinion my, my book has a an affectionate <laughs> subheading al knows everything where i track all of these for every episode so if i'm if i'm going to dunk on al for that i'm going to dunk on uh, jen for that a little bit as well but it's it's fine it is what it is and it it, it was a good excuse yeah it's just also one of those just like tv mcguffin things you know where yes. the thing that you need that week is going to work the way you need it to work or yes. you know or the skill exactly. is suddenly going to be there for somebody because we need to have somebody with that skill and it's better than bringing in you know character z that we've never met before just yes. to do that yeah. and um yeah. I, I think also you know christopher's point where he's saying this is the new quantum league it is i mean we've got this whole other ensemble cast and you know, much more a group dynamic as compared to the old thing which was basically the sam and al show with you know occasional you know tina gushi whatever donna um but they were just as needed or just to kind of like add a little bit of sprinkling to the top of it um so yeah if you're going to have a group dynamic I really would like to see more going on in, in different holograms and Ben interacting with, because also I think it was nice to see Ben and Ben's dynamic with somebody else besides Addison. I like the fact that we've got the romance and I think that works really well, but it was really nice to kind of step back from that angst and kind of have, you know, Ben interacting with somebody else and seeing a different side of Ben to some extent too. 
Well, that to me is another reason why, you know, the inclusion of Jen, not just as a gimmick as the hologram in the imaging chamber, but actually, you know, changing the course of the leap for the better in the sense that, number one, we had the comedy with the Back to the Future you mentioned with the Marty Sports Almanac. Yeah. And, oh, you never did that on a leap? Like, why wouldn't you? You know, and it reminds me of Ziggy's tenant where the leaper shall not positively affect their own lifetime or something when they had the gambling episodes in Right Hand to God and in Tale to Sweeties. Um, Jen is just cavalierly doing that now. Where was Jen, like, was she at the project um, two weeks ago, like, screaming at magic to say, could you just tell Addison to go and give this Indian family the sports results? Please. The lottery that, numbers, That would have just yeah. solved everything. <laughs> and, and Magic stood there saying, no, Jen, you can't do that. Well, no. <laughs> I have a headache. I can't do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Not now, dear. I have a headache. But the other thing that made it so effective was that she gives this awkward story, and she's really bad at telling yes. it. But at the end, she turns Ben around. With, ben is the bunny savior. I loved – that's the best part of the episode. Yes. And you can tell that she's not good at doing it, but it gets the job done. And it marks another, to me, pivotal thing that I don't recall seeing in Quantum Leap. You guys are going to have to maybe refresh my memory of the classic series. But Ben is given the option to do uh, something lesser, like to pick the lesser of two evils so he can leap. Ben, Ziggy says if you take this plea, you can leap. What? This allows me to leap? This? Camilo gets out in four years. He moves his grandmother and his brother out of Queens before Leo ever gets killed. It takes years, but they build their lives back. Yeah, but it's still four years in prison. And I think it's Jen's story that kind of inspires him to say, no, this is what is right. This is an innocent person. They should not spend one minute in jail. We need to go all the way with this. Have we, I can't for the life of me, recall a leap in which Al said, if you do this, it's assured you are going to leap. And Sam says, no, we need to do it this way. I know there's a lot of times when Sam has ignored Ziggy's advice saying, no, I have a gut feeling, but I can't remember it ever put to them as a choice like this one was. Can can you guys recall any instances in the original series where they made such a stark demarcation of you do this and you leap and it's fine. And yeah, it's not great, but you know, they get out of it eventually. As opposed to no, he's innocent and you know, Ziggy says you have to save him to leap. Uh 100%, you know? So can you guys recall is there an instance? I'm sure there is, and I'm sure that people write and say, "Hey, idiot." <laughs> Remember this very obvious one, you know? <laughs> yeah, nothing's coming to mind, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there. Yeah, and this is maybe going down a path that I was afraid that any new iteration of Quantum Leap would take. Um, if you've heard me say this before, I'm sorry, but I think it bears repeating in this instance. I was always afraid that with the current environment of TV with anti-heroes and sort of darker storylines and things have to be a real realistic drama and gritty and, you know, you can't just have a, a good guy doing good things for the good of people. You need to put some conflict into it. And I thought that this was going to be what a new quantum leap would be of necessity. Ben having to make the best of two bad choices in order to leap just so that we could have more drama, just so that we could have more um, – 
of a current TV aesthetic, a current entertainment aesthetic. This show has so far gone completely away from that. Like Deborah's heart and soul is here. Don's heart and soul is here. It really is about helping people for the greater good. And I'm so happy that the series has embraced that tenet of Quantum Leap. I was afraid that we were going to get this, okay, you got him down to four years. It's not the greatest, but it'll have to do. And um, I'm, I don't know if I'm leery of the show maybe dabbling in this idea as something that we might have to contend with as it goes forward. Uh, have you guys considered any of that stuff? It hadn't occurred to me, but it's a really good point. Um, and now I'm really wondering if this is like a, a kind of a, an hors d'oeuvre, you know, a, a taste of something we may see in future where he is going to be forced to take the lesser of the two evils, whatever they may be. Not necessarily in a selfish way, but it's like basically, you know, it's just basically between the devil and the deep blue sea. He's got to do something. Otherwise, he's going to be stuck there forever for reasons. So he's got to pick one or pick, you know, number two. And neither one of them are good choices. So, I mean, that might be an interesting story telling once, but I don't want to see it constantly because then, you know, it's like, and I think also then you start to not like Ben so much because you're going to say, oh, well, he's a selfish jerk because he's always trying to get himself out of this, not really caring about the people. And I think this week, especially it showed in a very positive way that he does care and cares very passionately about what he's doing. And that's why he's the right guy to be doing this. And I can only think in one instance in the classic series where um, Sam figured out after the fact that he made a choice that wasn't for the good of everybody at the end of the Leap Home Vietnam when he's just, you know, in his cups and he's like, I, I just traded a life for a life, you know, it, it really seemed to affect him badly. Uh, and he didn't realize he was doing so at that point, but that's the way it turned out. And it devastated him, even though he had his brother back. It was like a bittersweet thing for him and one of, I think one of the strongest moments in, in the classic series. So, But I think that's also because we were so vested in the Tom story and you know Sam's family life and sort of like getting into his background. I don't know if they could do as effective a job with that kind of story in this series because it's, it's such a different dynamic. And for, for everything that we've seen Raymond do, we still don't know Ben very well. I'm hoping that um, maybe jumping ahead to next week since this is seems to be going someplace. It's called Ben Interrupted. So I think he's going to be in, in an asylum or something like that. Shades of Shock Theater. I hope that we maybe delve a little bit deeper into Ben and his backstory next week so that we can have those, those sort of Tom moments and, um, really expand on the character now that everybody is more familiar with the premise and, and the dynamic and, and all that stuff. But, you know, that's, that's just wool gathering. That's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, I have theories about what next week may be about, and I may be completely wrong, so this may not be the time to talk about it, so we can, you know, we're wrapping up later. The one thing that kind of stuck out to me, not, it's a minor niggle, it's not like a major, major, oh my god, this ruined the episode for me, but because it is 1985, because it is New York, um, because... I was a New Yorker in 1985 and I had a lot of friends in the LGBTQ community. And, um, I actually had friends who were sort of proto activists went on later in, in AIDS activism. Um, the minor niggle to me, and I, I actually did look it up. I was doing one of the reasons I was up so late last night was I was trying to find any proof of this was the fact that Stuart mentioned that he was going on a bike ride, um, for, you know, to raise awareness for AIDS. And, 
1985 was just a slightly too early for that. The only uh, historical thing that I could find in any way, shape, or form was there was a, a bicycle ride that started around April 1985 in San Francisco, where it was a San Francisco to Los Angeles ride. Mm. But there was no bikers involved. There was no big thing. And um, I was in grad school, actually, in 1985. And uh, my boss was also a friend of mine um, in my uh, work-study job was uh, LGBT activist and he was the first person I really ever had spoken to about AIDS and what was going on in in the gay community and what was happening because people outside that bubble really you know it was something you didn't talk about you didn't know about so 19 like by 1987 act up had started and I was working in Manhattan by that point I had friends involved with act up um and I had friends who were working uh with gay men's health crisis in New York City they were doing dance marathons but that was like a year or two later so I, I think it was important to be there because, you know, I think it tied in with the uh, Alita and Vicky relationship, et cetera. But it just, I don't know, for some reason, it just stuck out to me like, no, this is slightly too early for this. <laughs> so mm. I, I, I'm glad. I think it was a noble thing. I'm glad they brought it up. But I don't think that would have been happening yet. <laughs> and I, I tend to be like, when it comes to like, you know, uh, things being anachronisms or, you know, historical accuracy, I, I can get very, very like nitpicky about that. So this one just stood out to me like, you know, kind of with neon letters, like, no, nah, we're slightly, maybe a year too early for this to be happening, but it's okay. He was a cool character and it worked anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're going to nitpick, I mean, maybe you'll have uh, like, like the equivalent of my radio sightings. We all have our things that we're going to nitpick about. Eh, that doesn't really belong on screen, but all right, it works for the show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I, yeah, I should add that I was that way with the old series, too. I mean, you know, we got to, you know, especially pop culture or fashion or something like, no, no, nobody was wearing that that year, you know, <laughs> no miniskirts in 1963 or whatever it was at the time. So 1985, I was there, I was around and yeah, we didn't quite get there yet. Yeah. It's the reality of TV drama, and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm much the same. I, I wouldn't have picked up on that, but there's uh, there's so so much nitpicking I've done over the original series and the new series, and it, it doesn't mean we don't love it. It's just a way of showing our love by showing how closely we're watching and paying attention and um, just giving some gentle notes on yeah some of those corners they have to cut to make the drama work. And it, it was such a, a lovely moment that it doesn't, doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, it didn't change the story in any way, which is like I said, it just stood out to me. But, you know, if somebody's out there and writes into you guys and said, no, no, this happened and you didn't know about it, cool. I would like to know about that because I'm always yeah. <laughs> always interested in learning new history. So yeah, I just couldn't come up with it. And I tend to go down, you know, like research rabbit holes, especially when it comes to historical dates and things that happen. So before we go to wrap up um, on this episode, there was one thing that I think I picked up on, but I'm, I, I've watched it like a dozen times and I'm trying to figure out if I'm just imagining it or not. So you guys tell me where, <laughs> how much you think I'm reading into things. Um, at the very end, Jen says, like, oh, I, I just realized how much I miss Ben. And the, there's a, a shot of Mason, like, kind of just reacting to that, which is fine. And then there's a shot of Addison and it looks like she's thinking something else. And I don't know where her mind is, but it, doesn't look like she's thinking, yeah, I miss Ben too. I felt like there was something slightly darker going on there, and I don't know what, but um, I wonder if there's something going on with Addison that we're not aware of yet. And I'm mainly putting it out there, so if there is, I can say I spotted it, and uh -huh. if it's not, fine. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, I, I just imagined it, no problem, because it was, it was quick and subtle. So yeah, you had mentioned this to me 
you know, we were discussing prior. We said we weren't going to discuss it until the show, but I went back and watched it because I missed that completely. But then having rewatched it, I did see the look and the sort of like weird reaction, especially because everybody was so happy and, and, you know, there was all the hugging and happiness and, and, and tears and whatever. And Addison had been like very much, you know, patting Jen on the, the back. And all of a sudden, yeah, she says, I miss Ben. And Addison kind of like does this odd, like look to the side, like, I, I mean, it could be anything from, well, yeah, of course you miss him because you had an affair with him before we, he and I hooked up, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, something entirely different. So, yeah, I think there is something there, unless it just happened to be like a, an odd take or, you know, something got cut. It was just odd. So I, I'm not sure whether we're reading into something or whether, you know, it, it, well, it is some kind of like really subtle foreshadowing for things we don't know about yet. Can can I venture a, a theory? Because I hadn't noticed it, and um, I, I can go back and watch it. But I'm sure that if both of you've noticed it, it's there. Because um, I was swept up in the fact that you know they were giving the wrap up and they were all together, and like, like you guys said, it was they were jokey and and, and sort of emotional, and uh, I was confused as to why Jen was crying, to be honest with you. I mean, she was so swept up in, in the positive change that she had wrought, I guess, with them joining the Justice Project and all that. But could it be, you know, they come together like for the first time that we've seen them all together just talking about missing Ben? Addison looks over to the side. Maybe she feels guilty because Ben is gone ostensibly because he leaped to save her. So maybe mm -hmm. she's just feeling like, well, this is somehow my fault. Could that be it? Yeah. There's all kinds of things that could be going through her mind. And that's, yeah. I I just think if it was thinking in terms of the the writers and the producers and what they're trying to do with this i just kind of imagine if it was something that if, if it was something on the surface like that one of the other characters would have noticed her looking the way she looked and given her like magic would have put his arm around her and she'd have given a smile and that would have been that would have been that it was the fact that she was very distanced from everyone else at that point she was standing with them but she gave that look and then we cut away. There was nobody noticed her giving that look. Yeah. And that just seemed intentional to me. And it might not have been. And if it's not intentional, then it's just, yeah, her, her feeling guilty or just being aware of her own sadness because the last 20 days she's been just so focused on Ben. She's not really had much of a time to wallow. Could be all kinds of things. But the fact that no one else noticed it felt like something. All right, listeners, put a pin in that. You have your homework to do. Let's see if that look leads to anything more significant. I had not noticed it at all. So we'll, we'll see where it goes because it was interesting. So we'll find out. Yeah, maybe that tees up some things to come. So um, I, I guess since that happens at the end of the episode, we're nearing the end of our discussion about the episode. Um, why don't we give some final thoughts on Ben Song for the defense? Jen, why don't we start with you? Okay. Um, I, I really like this episode. I think this is probably one of my favorites of the whole season. And I've liked everything so far, but this one really just stood out because, like I said, I, I really like the fact that Jen got to be in the forefront. We got to know her. We suddenly, I felt like there was a wall that dropped. So she got to really show more of who she is and, and why she's involved in this other than just being the, okay, now I'm going to go off and, and do some research for everybody. So I like that. I like the fact that the team kind of worked together. Um, I like the social justice aspect of it, and I like the way everything kind of came together in the end. Um, I can't think of anything that I didn't like, really. Uh, like I said, you know, minor historical thing, maybe 
Um, and, you know, as we joked before, you know, it wasn't very Queensy. It wasn't very New York in 1985. <laughs> um, and I think the only other thing, and again, like, I don't know how they could have done this without it being distracting is that, other than the fact that, you know, Ben was wearing a suit with a pussy bow, you know, with very, like, woman 1985 power suit. Um, I didn't really feel like we were in the 80s. There wasn't a lot of, usually there were more touchstones in terms of music or, you know, just stuff going on, pop culturally, news, something. And so I, I didn't quite feel like it was 1985. It could have been any time, which is fine. I So I'm just curious as to why they picked 1985 for that story as compared to any other time. It was 1985. We really should have heard Ghostbusters because that would have been a really, really fun, like, <laughs> nod to, you know, everything else yes. that was going on. Yeah, I mean, it was a big song in 1984, so we could have heard it and everybody could have heard Teehee, you know. Yeah. There you go. Ernie Hudson joke, so there. They should hire me to be their comedy writer. <laughs> they should have done like uh, Last Action Hero and had um, had a Ghostbusters poster, but with uh, Eddie Murphy on instead of Ernie Hudson or something like that. Oh, that would have been I great know too. Ernie wasn't actually on the posters, so that wouldn't quite have worked. But yeah, some, something something that shows that there's a different actor playing Winston in the QL verse. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about it. I, it was a really good episode, and I think if this is. You know, it, we've taken 15, 16 episodes to get here, but it's moving in a, a very, you know, upward trajectory. And I like that. And I hope that this is like, you know, we have more episodes like this in the future because it was great. And this is what I want to see. Cool. How about you, Matt? Yeah, very much the same. Um, as with most season ones, uh, it's um, Quantum Leap's struggled to find its feet sometimes and it, it's been trying out different things it's been trying out the the big uh set pieces it's been trying out the major focus on the mystery box it's been doing all, all, all sorts of things some of which have worked better than others and this feels to me like they're as it has been the last couple of weeks like they're really confident in what they're trying to do and i enjoyed it but i think it, whether you enjoyed it or not this episode is one of the ones that's it just feels like the team of the, the production team have all come together and have a very clear vision of the future. So, at the very least, this is this is now quantum leap, and uh, yeah, some great moments in it. Plus, hashtag Team Gen. <laughs> hashtag Team Gen. More Gen. Yeah, I, I think you guys are right on point with this. Um, this episode has so much to recommend to it. This episode is showing that uh, they're getting tighter and tighter and tighter in the writer's room and focusing in on what makes the characters work and um, expanding the premise and the dynamic of the show to accommodate this new paradigm with this ensemble cast in ways that I think are still respectful to the heart and the tone of the the original Quantum Leap. I like the fact that we got a smaller Leap story like we did with Family Style. I think that Family Style and this one are maybe two of the strongest examples this season along with somebody up there like Spen of how you can really embody the legacy of the original Quantum Leap but uh, tell it for a new generation. So I hope they keep doing stories like this and you know uh, just on more small personal touches. I mean Ray's comedy is always on point. Um, the subtle things that he does, we saw it in last episode. We saw it this episode where he's just running in the wrong direction half the time, but he corrects himself. <laughs> or he kind of slightly slips on the high heel. So that was kind of a nod to the original series. But what I'm saying is that they're not wallowing in the trappings of Quantum Leap. They're just doing Quantum Leap. And yeah. I love that about it. So yeah, more stories like this. And we got three left to go. So I have a feeling that um, the next three episodes are going to be uh, much more um, resolution to the, to the central mystery 
of this season. And um, I'm looking forward to that as well. We kind of teed that up with them saying that they had an algorithm now that could detect a new leaper. Uh, that that was the only the only nod that they gave to Martinez in this one. So right, yeah, so I think that that's going to come into play. Otherwise, why have it on screen? Just like that lingering look. Why have it on screen? There might be something else going on. So yeah, solid solid episode of Quantum Leap. And with that, I think our discussion of Ben Song for the Defense is in the books. But stay tuned because after the break, we'll be bringing you our interview with Deandra Lyle. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. If you are trans and experiencing a crisis or you know someone who is, please call trans lifeline at 877-565-8860. Or visit translifeline.org for help. That number again is 877-565-8860. Or visit translifeline.org for help. This is Mason Alexander Park, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey guys, you know, I, I, I forgot to ask this. Um, how does time travel work in Quantum Leap? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't they know? Hi, hey, everybody, we're back, but uh, this hey. begs the question. Hi. Um, wouldn't they know automatically the outcome of the trial back at Project Headquarters? Like, they're saying it's 50-50 shot. But then yeah. ben, once Ben decides on a course of action, shouldn't that be set? And I know it's because of the drama. And I know that the original Quantum Leap is guilty of this as well. But it's just always something that, that struck me as sort of um, – one of the pitfalls of doing time travel as a dramatic device and trying to change history and stuff like that. Like you would, I think by necessity, know in the future what's going to happen because it takes place after the fact. Yet in this one, you know, they're, they're in suspense back at the project too. Thoughts? But doesn't that, th- that 50% <laughs> also depends on how well Ben does. So that this just goes back to original series stuff where Al might say, all right, things are coming along okay. You're like 73% sure that everything's going to come out all right. But yeah, you, you got to do this and that. And yeah, that, that didn't bother me, especially not when it, the, the 50-50 comment was made before Ben had even made the, the decision to fight it. Uh, but then afterwards, yeah, he's still got work to do. Yeah, uh, I was going to say we we still don't quite know how time travel works, especially when we had the the oddness um, of the episode a couple of weeks back, where Ian suddenly had <laughs> memories changed, and all of a sudden everything changed around them, um, as compared to you know other weeks where everything's yes. still the same. And and I, it's one of the things. That I, and again, the old series also was very guilty of kind of changing the rules as they went along. But like, pick something and stick with it, please, because it kind of confuses me. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry that I, I took us down that little that little rabbit hole because no, no, I made a uh, I made a promise before the break, and here we are after the break, and we are now proud to bring you our interview with Deandra Lyle. Hey, this is Matt. Welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Uh, today on the show, we're really excited to have none other than Deandra Lyle, also known as ADA Vicky Davis, from the latest episode of the series. Deandra, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for your time today. I know we're, we're going to get all into the stuff about Quantum Leap. We really can't wait to, to talk about uh, the character and, uh, and your experiences on set. 
But could you start off by just giving me a bit of background about yourself, how you got into the business, um, what, what's kind of taken you through your career so far? Yeah, so uh, I kind of had a non-traditional route into the business. I didn't plan on being an actor. I, it didn't, I didn't oh. choose it, it chose me. So in my former life, I was a recreational therapist at a psych hospital. So that's, I got my degree in therapeutic recreation, my minor in social work, and I worked with, you know, at-risk youth, children in the system, and then at the hospital, children age four through adult with a lot of, you know, mental health, you know, challenges and everything like that. So that's what I did in my former life. And uh, the acting bug really didn't, I guess, start biting me until, let me see, I took a class my last semester of college just for fun. And it was good. My, my teacher said I did well and I should consider it. But, you know, I was like, oh, I'm not I'm not thinking about acting. So fast forward several years, it continued to sit in the back of my my spirit. And uh, and when I got laid off in 2008 from my therapist job, I decided to try acting at age 30. So that was kind of a <laughs> again, I was in Chicago at the time uh, and I'm from Iowa originally. So I'm a little Midwestern girl and. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, a, a mom at that point. I had a daughter. I think she was 2009. She might have been like six or seven. And I said, hey, when one door closes, another one opens. So let's try this acting thing. And uh, and here I am years later. And I've, I've been really blessed to be able to uh, do work on almost all the major networks. And uh, I've done lots of different roles. I've done comedy. I've done drama. I've had all this fun. And, and I'm just, you know, riding the wave. I'm enjoying it. So. That's kind of how that's the abbreviated version of how I got my start. <laughs> that's that's I I love those inspirational stories about being able to pivot in a in a moment of crisis. That's that's great. Did you did you sort of have to to train up for it or did you just start auditioning and learning as you go? Cuz I imagine that at that point you it must have been quite a a moment of, okay, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do this right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm not classically trained. So, you know, I don't have a BFA and MFA. I didn't, um, I've not experienced in the theater or the different methods and things like that, but you know, I think everybody's gift Mm. is different and I still work at developing my craft and my instrument. So I have taken various classes over the years, you know, audition techniques, uh, scene studies. I've done improv. I, I actually trained at second city Chicago improv. So that's the original second city. So I did wow. do a year long program there uh, early in my career. And, um, and yeah, so I just, I still work on, you know, honing my craft and, 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 you know, when I need to go to class, I will go to class or I'll coach with somebody, but you know, too, I just really, I think being in my uh, former career, dealing with a lot of like psychological things that really helps me with characters. I can understand mm-hmm. a lot of the dynamics of what's going on beneath the layers so that helps me and just understanding, you know, human nature. So I, I always tell people, watch how you do things. You know, if you're getting up, how do you brush your hair? How do you put your clothes on? How do you feel when you're hot, when you're cold, you know, or, or watch other people, you know, across the room and pay attention to their body language. You can really see how they feel about each other or what kind of mood they're in. And, and those are all the types of things that we bring to acting, right? So it's just kind of like you can learn constantly by just paying attention and being, you know, um, observant. So, uh, yeah, so not classically trained, um, but I still work at it. And, you know, again, like you said, it's like, if I'm going to do this, I got to at least be prepared. I can't just jump in. I respect the craft, you know, with anything that I do, I I respect it. So Mm. you have to do your due diligence. Very important. 
So you started, um, you started looking at different roles. What would you say, um, out of everything you've done? Cause I, I can see from your resume, you've, you've done a whole bunch. What, what's your kind of, what was your breakout role where you were like, okay, I've arrived now? You know what's funny is I don't know if you ever feel like you, you've arrived because it's always, you know, you just, I always tell people I've not, I haven't made it. I'm making it. It's continual. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So every step is something new. It's a, a new challenge. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, different roles, different uh, size roles, you know? So, you know, in the beginning, it's like, you know, that first co-star was a major achievement for me. You know, that mm-hmm. was, okay, I'm starting to make it, right? I'm making it. And then going from a co-star to a guest star, and then going from a guest star to a recurring guest star. And then, you know, I've been very fortunate that I'm able to say I've reached series reg status, you know? So, each level has its own, you know, um, its own, it's its own success. It's its own victory. It's its own breakout. You're arriving in different ways constantly. So I think, you know, I've been fortunate to continue to grow and continue to climb up that ladder and I hope it continues, you know, but there's no guarantee. So I'm just enjoying it. But yeah, I, I, to answer your question, not any particular role. It's just continuing to work and continuing to do good work. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's a, it's a healthy attitude, and it, it's an attitude that's led you to this this role on Quantum Leap. So, what can you tell me about um, how you found out about the role, the auditioning process, and um, your first thoughts when you saw the script? Well, uh, this was an interesting situation because the director, Kristen Wendell, she uh, has actually directed several episodes on the Disney show that I'm on. So, I've known her for the last couple of years, uh, and we also have a mutual friend outside of the business. Uh, but she actually contacted me and she said, hey, uh, I'm going to request you to audition for this role. And she was getting ready to direct the episode. And I mean, you still, I still had to audition, you know, but she was like, hey, I'm going to throw your name in the hat. And and I remember when I initially looked at the role and it said, I think like late 20s. And I was like, ooh, I don't know if I can play late 20s. But, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, it's the world of pretend. So they can change the specs and they can do things. And it took, it takes place in 1985. So you know, I threw on an old Halloween wig that I had, you know, to give me some 80s style hair and, uh, and you know, <laughs> figured out an outfit and felt as 80s as I could. And, and I just gave it a go. And, and I really, I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm more of a character actor. So I really like getting into the different looks, into the different feels and vibes of these characters. So to do this kind of period piece, you know, that's a period piece makes it sound like it's really ancient, but 80s, I mean, they've been, it's a while ago. I like it. Hundred years ago, right? Um, but you know, to I do know. more period. I don't know when the eighties became period, but yeah, it's horrible. Look, and I even wore my little eighties shirt just so you know. I, I wore this for today because it's eighties style. So, um, but I was around in the eighties, and uh, and so, anyways, I was just really excited about doing that type of role set in that period. And uh, you know, the role itself was, you know, it's an attorney, and and I've played attorneys before. It's, it's kind of in my wheelhouse, but it was just. Written beautifully, the storyline is a, it's a really strong one. I think it's great too for, um, you know, National Women's Month or International Women's Month too, um, and empowering women. But, uh, but yeah, so I auditioned and then, you know, a few days later, she said, Hey, we get to work together again. And the studio and, and, and networks approved and you did great. And so, you know, she didn't give me the job, but she helped, you know, get me over there to be considered for the job. So, it was fun, and I got to work with Kristen again, and I got to meet an amazing uh, cast and crew on Quantum Leap. So it was great. Yeah, let's let's talk about the the casting because um, you obviously um, 
you you had to develop quite a a, a lived in relationship with um, Raymond's character. How much time did you get? Because I, I know network TV, very fast turnaround time. How much opportunity did you get from getting the script to that first day filming to actually work on how how to build Let's that? See, I think I sent the audition in on a Thursday. I got word Monday that I booked it, and we shot that all in Thursday, like a few days later. Um, so I think wow. we got the okay. script Monday or Tuesday, like a few you know a few days before we started shooting. So you yeah. know, and then I didn't meet Ray ran until, you know, we got set and it's time to work. So it helps when you have castmates around you that are very welcoming, that are very, I mean, Ray is just so down to earth. He's an Mm. amazing, I know you spoke with him. He's just amazing, you know, and everybody on there is. So I felt welcome from the, you know, from the jump and it was very comfortable and we could just get in there and play. I had a good understanding of my character and, and it was written well. So for me, like when things are written well, it's very easy to retain. It's, it's easy to just, you know, ingest that so you can live it. Uh, so all those factors made it a really easy transition to be able to just jump in and go. But yeah, not a lot of prep time. You know, you don't get like, and, and they're constantly shooting. And I mean, Ray, I mean, bless him. Like the amount of characters and roles and things he's playing, you know, in these consecutive ep- episodes is like mind blowing, but he does it so well and with ease. So yeah, it was not a lot of prep time, but you know, we made it happen. And, and all those things helped make it much easier. One of the things I, I wanted to ask about, and this, <laughs> this might come from left field now because I'm always really interested in the actor's process and that kind of, that, that thought process. And now you said you, you're not classically trained. You're kind of self-taught. So one of the things that really sells Ray as being a woman, and it's not something that we've seen in this series at all yet. The, the observation I'm about to make, it's something we rarely saw when in the original series, when Sam leapt into a woman, the, relationship that you built with him you weren't just looking at him like he was a romantic partner you were looking at him like he was a female romantic partner and there was a there was a real tenderness in the way you interacted with each other and i know i i put some nice things about you on instagram and we we conversed a little bit after that and it was mostly because of that 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 was the stuff that just made me really sit up and go wow i really believe that ray has leapt into a woman because all of this work that you were doing around him, and I'm just wondering how conscious a decision that was. Were you making different choices than you would have done if you were romantically involved with a man? And how on earth did you manage to pass that in your head <laughs> when you're standing opposite a man? Uh, that's a really good question and a really good thing to think about. Um, honestly, it really didn't matter who it was, if it was a man or a woman for me. and It didn't really register. Like I knew it was Ray, but... I think at the end of the day, you're connecting with the human spirit and, and it's about that love and that connection. So it doesn't matter what form that's in, you know what I'm saying? If you love somebody, if you care about somebody, that there's no color, there's no gender, there's no, you know, any of that. Uh, so for me, it was just kind of like, okay, this is my person that I care about. I love this person. I'm in a relationship with this person. And that to me is going to, is not going to be any different. Regardless if it's, if it's a man or a woman, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I it, it's weird because I really didn't consider it. It was never really a thought. I just, it was just, it was just that being that, you know, my character was opposite. It wasn't Ray. It wasn't, you know, Aleda. Yeah. You know, the female it was just my person. So I think I just stayed in that world and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. believe that. 
Yeah, that um, no, that's fair. That makes sense. That just surprises me because a few of us have spoken about that, and and we noticed the kind of the the tenderness that the two of you have together just seem to go beyond uh, the traditional male female relationship. Uh-huh. So even if you weren't conscious of doing it, um, it 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 comes out. And I think when you see the episode uh, on Monday, um, hopefully you'll, oh, you'll see and that. I, and I love hearing that. Like I'm so glad that it translated like that. And I think that that's really important, really for a lot of us to see. You know the state of the world right now. There's so many, you know, the politics and all the pushback on who should be mm. with who and how things are supposed to be and this and that. And it's like, like I said, at the end of the day, love is love. I don't, you know, I don't, it, like it blows my mind that people think there have to be conditions or certain, you know, frameworks to classify mm. how it's supposed to be, you know? And, and I think, yeah, I'm glad that it came across like that. And two, again, having Ray to be opposite against, he is very inviting, very warm, very comfortable. I felt like I've known him for a long time. So that really, that adds to that connection and makes it a lot easier. So maybe, maybe just opening up a bit more, more widely, what else can you tell me about the atmosphere on, on the set generally? I mean, this, this was obviously some of the scenes you were involved in were very high stakes, high drama, courtroom stuff. You said you, you've got experience of that before. How did this compare to anything you've done in the past? Well, you know, uh, I think one thing that's helped me with when it comes to the legal atmosphere in that world, when it comes to attorneys and stuff like that, one of the classes that I took uh, several years ago, our teacher really worked on our wheelhouse. So characters and roles that we would maybe be inclined to go out for. So I I do tend to go in for really strong kind of, (laughs) it's my persona, you know, I'm naturally have a strength about me. So, you know, like attorneys or police officers, detectives, things like that. Those come pretty naturally for me. So, you know, having worked on those types of things in class, um, I did an episode of Chicago Justice years ago and I was an attorney and we were in a courtroom and, you know, I had to be very like, with all due respect, Your Honor, you know, it's like really those types of things, being in that space and Mm -hmm. having experienced it made it more comfortable now to go back into a courtroom, you know, on a set and go, okay, this is the feel of it. And honestly, too, for me, when I get into my character, when I'm in my, you know, my clothing, my wardrobe, when we're sitting at that desk on opposing counsel and the judge is there and we have our, you know, legal documents, I feel like I'm in that world, you know, so it lends itself to yeah. believing that and feeling that, you know, it's almost like a cheat. You're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm totally, you know, an attorney right now and <laughs> doing all the attorney things, yeah. all respect to actual attorneys because I know I did, have not done the <laughs> schooling for it. It's way more than what I've done. But yeah, I think those types of things have helped prepare me for those moments and just being able to live it and and to be it, you know, and again, the writing and everything like that lends itself to it too. So yeah. How did you find that obviously Quantum Leap, uh, quite a unique show in the fact that it's effectively creating a movie each week with a whole different scenario. It's getting towards the end of its first season. Now, did you sense any kind of, challenges behind the scenes or did you think perhaps that they'd got more into a a rhythm now because this is what episode 15 16 listen the whole production cast and crew is a well-oiled machine from what i experienced everybody felt in sync everyone was pleasant to be around everyone was welcome it there was a lot of just magic there and a lot of that stems from the people that are at the top so you have your producers, you have your showrunner, you have your, you know, creators, you have Ray as the lead as number one, 
And their energy and their nature is just so relaxing and calm and laid back and pleasant. And so that's really has a trickle down effect on the whole production. Because I've been around places before. I used to do crew work. I was a stand-in for a couple of years. And I've seen when things get really stressed. Okay. And, you know, it's a stressful environment always. Yeah. But you can either let it affect you and then it just affects everybody's domino effect. And then it's just everybody's barking at everybody else. And there's just stress and everybody's trying to hurry. And it's just like, ah. Or you can go, okay, we got to get in and get out. We got to do what we got to do. But we're all here because we love what we do. We're all here to have fun because I think that's the most important thing. And we're going to make it happen. So when you have these positive attitudes at the top, you can't help but have a nice effect on everybody else. So for me, it was a great, great family to be a part of. I was kind of sad because my character can't come back. I'm like, oh, um, I would like to come back on some more episodes, but I'm like, how am I going to do that? Because I'm back in 1985. So I can't really do that. You know, maybe I'm a, a, a leaper too. That's why I try to give them some storylines or something maybe. <laughs> but uh but no, it's... Absolutely, why not? Right, I mean, you could do anything, right? Uh, but no, it was... They they do very well over there, and uh, it's no wonder that they're as successful as they are and that they're already going into season two and, and they got that early renewal. So I really mm. hope it keeps going because they, they deserve it. Yeah, it's everything we've heard um, suggested it's going well, so it uh, wasn't really a leading question as such. I was just, just wondering if you'd, you'd experienced that as well. And you mentioned about the family. Obviously, again, the kind of unique setup that Quantum Leap's got, uh, it's it's mostly a whole new cast. Um, I guess you got the chance to interact with, with Ray and Nanrissa, but every, anyone else you would have interacted with would have been brand new right. as well. Um, I, Can you talk about that? Yeah, about I did how, meet how, um, Caitlin, who plays Addison. So we, Caitlin, you know, she was yeah. there for couples. I mean, we were kind of like ships passing, but I think there was like maybe one scene she was in, but I saw her a couple of days and she was a sweetheart. Uh, she was amazing, but again, there I can say nothing, nothing bad about anyone over there. All good. I hope they this because they can tip me well for saying those things. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but that that family atmosphere you talked about that was reflected in the rest of the guest cast as well. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, it just felt comfortable. You know, everybody was. Just, I remember sitting around uh, in between takes, and we'd be in holding area and. Everybody's just, you know, hey, how are you? Where are you from? Like, what's your journey? What's and it just, it, it it feels like family. So even like Edward, who played biker Stewart, like we're now all connected. We are always interacting on Instagram, and I'm like, we sat down at lunch and we had this long talk, and I'm like, oh, oh that's good. That's my boy. I'm like, hey, we're family now, you know. And then Rissa, we had great talks. Ray, we had great talks. All of the guest cast that, because I think I was around most of the guest cast, not all of them, but. Um, I worked six days, so mm. you know, at some point we were kind of in the same area, and everybody was great, and everybody was supportive of everybody else, and just happy to be there. So there was magic there. Have you um, have you been keeping up uh, with with the show generally? Uh, have you been watching the show as it's been on? I haven't watched. I've been meaning to watch. I've seen pieces of it, and I've had quite a few friends of mine who have been on other shows prior. So it's fun. It's fun to see. Yeah, all these people. Uh, that I've known that have been on different episodes and it's cool to be like part of the quantum leap family now, but I know it's a great show. I just have to sit down and like fully watch. Cause like I'm usually in the house with like music on or something. So it's funny cause I work in television and film and I really, I don't watch a lot of television and film. I don't know what sense that makes, but <laughs> I know it's a great show and I do look forward to actually sitting down and watching all the episodes. <laughs> 
you got a couple of weeks left, and then you can and then you can binge it. Um, only eighteen of them. Yeah, it's a, it's a day. So before we start um, wrapping up and talking about the future, is is there anything else about your experience on Quantum Leap that you'll that perhaps you've not talked about or you'll take forward with you? I just had such a really good experience. It was. I have been on a Disney show for the last few years. Um, so this and another show that I just mm. completed were my first jobs in outside of my Disney show in a while. So it was just really nice to be able to come in as a guest and feel right at home. And everything felt authentic there from the people to the looks to the environment to everything else and, and everything, I think, even in having conversations, you know, if I had a question to, with the director or the writer or, you know, a producer about something that had to do with the character or the situation, everybody was open to have discussions mm. um, and to be supportive because everybody wants the product to be real and truthful and, you know, authentic. So it was great. I can't really, I, I continue to sing the praises of that show. I want them to win for a long time and keep going. And I'm glad that I had the opportunity to be a part of it because it was really, really special. And I, it definitely going to be a wonderful memory for me in my career. So yeah, I just, I love, I loved it. And I also do love the diversity of it, you know, with Raymond being mm. lead with Nanrissa. I mean, you just have a great diverse cast and it's not about race or color. They're people. And I think that, Every single one of them is relatable. Everyone's going to be able to relate to them just as people. And I think that that's important to see. So they're doing a beautiful job with that. I hope that continues. Absolutely. Great words. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you say you, you don't watch TV much. Are you going to be watching this one on Monday night? I'm going to watch this one. I'm really excited. Do you watch yourself at least? I, you, well, you know what's funny is most of the times when something airs, because we're in, in California, so we're on the West Coast, so everything will air like, ahead of time anywhere east of here so i'm from iowa which is in the midwest and the central time zone and then i have people you know on the east coast which is uh three hours ahead so like a lot of family and friends will watch stuff and then as soon as they're watching it before it's airing here they'll be recording my scenes or like taking pictures of me and then they'll put it on social media you know so there's sometimes I'm like oh nice. I don't really need to watch the show because i've already seen i've seen my, my scenes already you know so no but uh <laughs> I, I am really looking forward to watching this one just overall because I want to see everybody's work and see how the story came together. And I don't have anything going on tomorrow night, so I'm actually going to watch it live. But yeah, I, and when I watch things, honestly, when I watch shows that I'm in, it never feels like I'm watching me. It feels like I'm watching that character. It's a very third person thing for me. So even when I would speak about the character, I'd be like, well, she, you know, she, 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 talking about like Vicki Davis. It doesn't, it's not me, it's mm-hmm. that character. So, uh, in essence, when I watch it, I, I watch to, you know, be a spectator and see, was that believable? Did I believe that character? Did I believe that moment? It, I'm not really critiquing my work, me as Deandra. It's just, was Vicky being lived? So, um, but yeah, I look forward to watching it. I can't wait. I'm going to watch it live. Great. <laughs> and I think you, you will find that the character was being lived. I think you'll enjoy it. Can we... Um... Yeah, maybe talk just uh, a little bit about the future. Where else uh, Leapers can see you? Because there's bound to be new fans of you that come out of this episode. What's the best place to find you? As for shows, I am on the Disney Channel show Secrets of Sulphur Springs. 
Our third season airs March 24th. It premieres March 24th, so in a couple weeks. And uh, we were just nominated for an Emmy, actually, uh, this year. We didn't win, but we were nominated, wow. which is amazing. And uh, and so, yeah, I've been on that all three seasons. We shoot in New Orleans. It's great. And that's a really an amazing show that adults love just as much as kids. Uh, so that comes up pretty soon. And then I actually am doing a recurring role on Bel Air season two, which is on Peacock. And so, mm-hmm. which is in the NBC family. So <laughs> I shot Bel Air and Quantum at the same time. So I'll be doing five episodes on the new season of Bel Air. And I think my episode, my entry starts in a couple weeks on the 23rd, I think on that show. So those are a couple more things you can catch me on on TV. And outside of that, you know, I'm just looking for the next job. I'm, I'm, ready for hire. Should anybody be looking for an actress? I'm here and, uh, and I'm on the socials. If you want to come hang out in my little world, that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Well, I know your Instagram handle. Um, so we'll put that in the show notes, uh, so people can find you and, um, yeah, hopefully they'll, they'll check out your, your other shows as well. But for now, I just wanted to say again, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking thank to you and hearing more about yeah, your experiences. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. I had a great time. Again, another delightful get for the Quantum Leap podcast. Deandra was great. Yeah, so so lovely. And um, she was so excited to have been on the show. I, I mean, Quantum Leap and, and our show as well, obviously. But Obviously uh, our show. Yes, I, that, that's, obviously that's our show. That's of course what you meant. Career Matt. highlight. <laughs> no, she was very excited. And I was, I was chatting to her in a couple of days leading up to the interview. And she was saying how excited she was to be speaking to us. So, yeah, I think that came through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, if you want to give everybody uh, a little bit of a sneak peek of what else they can find, I know that Deandra was just one of a few interviews that we secured for this show. Who else did we speak to that was part of this episode? Yeah, so this weekend we've spoken to uh, Stuart, Edward Galehouse, Tina DeMarco, who played Grandma Layla, and also Nate Walker, who played the, the character that I'm referring to as Naked Tyler, because the, the official <laughs> the, well, the official names on the NBC site seem to be Biker Stuart, Grandma Layla, and then Tyler doesn't have a description, so it's, it's Naked Tyler. He was great. Yeah, he was. Good comic relief. Uh, so thank you one and all who have uh, spoken to us about this episode. You will be able to see all of that on the after show on our YouTube channel. We'll tell you how to get to that later. But before we do, we have some feedback. Yay. We got we got uh, another email. And this is from a listener named Kelly. I don't think we have ever heard from Kelly before. Uh, I'd like to read this in our usual round robin fashion. So I will begin. Kelly writes, hi, I wanted to share my perspective on the whole new show not getting with the original show debate. While Allison and others are certainly not wrong on this matter, the heart of the show is still there, and that's what's important to me. The heart of the show lies in the premise of putting right what once went wrong and making connections with people from different walks of life. I think the new show is doing a great job with this. In addition, I love the five main characters and their relationships with one another, and how they found a family-like dynamic. While some people are put off by the mystery box aspects of the show, I personally love that part of it, and being able to put theories together for what's going to happen next. On another note, I love the podcast episode with Albie, Hayden, and Serenity. I've never watched the Quantum Leap after show, but they seem like a great time. I love Serenity's theory that Ben's leaps all connect to each other and lead to what he needs to do in his final leap. She mentioned needing to do things in a certain order, which goes with what Janice said in one episode when she let slip 
there's an order before stopping herself. I think Serenity is onto something. And Kelly wraps up by saying, anyway, those are my thoughts on the new show and why I still love it, despite the critiques. Keep doing what you're doing, Kelly. So, yeah, thanks for reaching out, Kelly. It's nice that, you know, the show is resonating with viewers as well. Mm -hmm. I know that in the past we've spoken about the differences and, you know, maybe highlighted the differences uh, a little too much. But it's also, I think, especially evident in this episode, that's why I picked this feedback, that they are really embracing some of the core tenets of the original series and that whole putting right what once went wrong in a small way for ordinary people. It's right there. It's still right there in the DNA. So we're happy that you're enjoying it, Kelly. We are enjoying it as well. And if you out there would like to be like Kelly, there are many ways that you can tell us what you think of the new Quantum Leap. You can drop us a line at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us like Kelly did at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And as I mentioned before, you can see us on YouTube at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. And for those of you out there who want to go that extra mile, you can always support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and speaking of the youtube channel as we mentioned earlier go to youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast to see the interviews with edward gelhouse tina demarco nate walker and the video version of the interview with deandra lyle it's all great stuff they're all terrific people and we had a ton of fun ton of fun talking to them but uh speaking of up next Matt, can you tell us where's Ben leaping to next? Well, next week, Ben interrupted. Normal reflexes, normal dilation. Hmm. We will confirm with blood work, but it appears that your husband is at least physically healthy, Mrs. O'Connor. It's not his body I'm worried about. My husband is clearly not in his right mind. Right mind? Of course I'm in my right mind. Why would I be of wrong mind? Okay, I think I should probably go, right? Liam, Liam, you need help. They're going to make you feel better here. Can you help him or not? I can, and I would like to begin treatments immediately. When Ben lands in a 1950s psychiatric institution, he must engineer a daring escape for a young woman unjustly committed by her husband. The team is shocked to learn the identity of a mole in Quantum Headquarters. Dun, dun, dun. Could Ooh. that be the Addison look? <laughs> that, that was where I was going with that, but I think, I don't know. The, the don't first know. thing that crossed my mind is a literal mole, because, like I said, I'm just... Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Same, I'm such a child. <laughs> like, what, not a squirrel or a beaver? No, or a badger? No, a mole. Okay, it's a mole. Uh, and as I said, I I have some odd speculation. I mean, I could be completely off about this, but uh, there's a I guess it's like a historical drama slash soap from Australia called A Place to Call Home. It's set in the nineteen like post war Australia, and one of the main characters on the show is gay, and he's married and he's got a kid, and it's it's very complicated. But at one point, he actually goes for conversion therapy, and um, for some reason, this just seeing the the 
promo for next week that kind of like twigged. This seems like a similar thing, especially with the wife and the doctor, you know, talking and, oh, you're mm -hmm. not in your right mind. So I won't be shocked if we find out that whoever Ben has leaped into is gone for conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but it just seems like there's been a lot of like touches of queer uh, lifestyle and queer stuff that's been going on, which I think is great. So I won't be shocked if we suddenly see the horrors of conversion therapy, especially in like, it looks like it was like a 1950s, 1960s setting. Which back then it also included things like electro uh, convulsive shock therapy. So we'll see what happens. But it, it, I could be completely off base on this one. But it was just like, hmm, this is interesting. So we'll see. Mm. And I think the, the use of the word shocked, shocked, shocked in your description, even though I, <laughs> I don't think that you meant it. But uh, yeah. the obvious potential for the parallels to shock theater are there. So I can't wait yeah. to see where they go with this one. Give Ben Shaka or Addison go back to the future forever. <laughs> I guess we'll see. So until that time, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Matt Dale. And this is Jan Fennec. And we'll see you next time. Do you think he's Sam Biederman? <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the quantum leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, aka Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. filming on that one right i know we have oh, our, totally. our microphone voices on right now but uh as i've often said this is not what i sound like when i'm talking to my mom so yeah i this is my microphone voice but also um i was in chicago i went for college and i used to have a very strong new york accent i i grew up in the same town as rosie o'donnell um we were actually at rival high schools um so i had a very strong new york accent and used to say things like dog and door and coffee and talk. And everybody I knew from the Midwest was mocking me constantly. So I kind of trained myself not to speak that way, except when I'm really tired or occasionally really drunk. So yeah. You've, yeah. you've read, you've read <laughs> Chris's book, Far Knowledge, right? Uh, no, I have not. Ah, you should read Far Knowledge without the R in it. That's something that you can look forward to. <laughs> it sounds like it'll be awesome. I can't wait. Albie, if you're editing this and not me, put that back in the discussion of uh, the pop culture references, I guess, with the pussy bow. Uh, yeah. Take this out. Is pussy bow dirty? It sounds dirty to me. Is that a real thing? Yeah, that's actually <laughs> what it's called. It's called a pussy bow blouse. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know when where it came from, but that's what they're called. Okay. I just thought it might do with the placement of the bow, but uh, you will, we'll keep this for the bleeper reel. It's kind of blue. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's those, those, you know, like awful bow blouses with the, the big like kind of bow because women couldn't wear bow ties and they always went with the power suit so okay now that's that's sorted and that's your pop culture fashion moment and here we are after the break and we are now proud to bring you our interview with deandra lyle you've already thrown to deandra once did you not like that no i don't think i did i think i said that
Yeah, you did because I, I corrected you and said Diandra. And no, then... that was I was saying after the break we're going to have it. Oh yeah, oh, I lose track. God, pay attention to your own show, damn it. See, see, Jan, we're total <laughs> professionals here. Not now, dear. I have a headache.